Well, this morning we are going to move into a time we're going to open up uh, our Bibles. And so if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to the book of Jude. Uh, We're going to be looking at Jude this morning, the second to last book in our Bibles. And uh, yeah, I'll invite you to turn, find your way there. Uh, There was a young woman. She was studying medicine, uh, just entering into her second year of med school. And she had started to notice some things that were going on in, in her, her body, actually. She was realizing that she was, she was having trouble lifting things. She felt her arms were getting weaker. And, and, and as time went on, she started to notice there was a, there was a twitch that was starting to develop in, in one of her arms. So being a medical student, she, she recognized what was going on. This was some of the early signs of ALS or, or Lou Gehrig's disease. She realized these were the early symptoms, and so she immediately went to her doctor to see if there was anything that he could do. Doctor ran uh, a number of tests and, and made sure um, uh, to you know, cover all of his bases, understand what's going on. He invited her back and says, all right, I, I think I know what's going on. You do, in fact, have something. You have medical student syndrome. You're a hypochondriac. You have been spending all of your time looking at these diseases, all of the problems that can go on in the body, and you have immediately jumped to the conclusion that that must be what's going on with you. In fact, this medical student syndrome has actually become quite commonplace in med schools. One study back in the 60s found as much as 70% of med school students got this at some point in their degree. And you have to say that that makes sense, doesn't it? Right? If you spend all day, every day, studying all the different things that could go wrong with your body, you're eventually going to start seeing that everywhere you look. I'm sure if you've ever gone on to something like WebMD, and you've gone on there because you have a headache and a bit of a pain in your arm, you're going to come across and you say, I have a brain tumor and I'm having a stroke. Right? We can, we can jump to the worst case scenario quite quickly. Well, what I find so interesting about this is that actually it's become now so well known in med school, this this syndrome, that the opposite effect has started to take place. Actually, the opposite has tended to happen where students are now ignoring symptoms because they think, well, it's all just in my head, right? This is just, you know, medical student syndrome. It's not really happening. So one student actually was going blind. He was losing his vision and he thought to himself, I'm sure that's all in my head. No. Now, thankfully, he he did go and he got medical attention. He turned out to be fine. But you can imagine how the opposite end of the spectrum can easily come in. Well, I think we tend to do this as the church as well. We tend to have these same kind of polarizations on, on certain things. We've just spent the last two months looking at doubt, All of the different things, all of these different large questions that come up about the Christian faith, all of these these giant doubts that people have. And, And I think sometimes the worry with a series like that is that we end up starting to see doubts everywhere. Every time we open our Bible, it's, it's a new doubt. Oh no, what could someone possibly you know, criticize about this? And, and we start worrying as if every single thing, as everything is falling down. Of course, we can also jump to the other side, can't we? We, we can jump to the other side and say, ah, oh, I've answered every question that could ever come up. I have everything completely worked out now. I call this Bible college syndrome, right? It's you've done one year of Bible college and you think you know everything and you can answer all the questions that anyone ever might have. 
Well, the truth is we want to avoid both of those extremes because the Bible actually does call us to a confidence, a confident faith in what God has given to us, but also to be merciful with those who are doubting. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look into the book of Jude to, to ask, well, well, how should we respond to a series like this? After, after looking at all of these things, after spending a while in, in sort of the apologetics arena, what should we do now? What does Christian growth, what is the life of a Christian now look like? And so I'm going to invite you to follow along with me at the end of the book of Jude. We're going to do Jude starting in verse 17, and we'll read down to the end. So, here now, brothers and sisters... This is the word of God. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, with that, why don't we pause? Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, thank you that you do call us to a confidence in you that we can come to you and we can understand what you have given to us. But Father, I pray now be at work in our lives that we might know you more. Lord, that we might actually build up our faith, that we might pray at all times in your spirit. Lord, that we would be waiting fixed on your coming. Lord, I pray give us merciful hearts towards others and give us a confidence in what you have called us to. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are, we are jumping into the end of the book of Jude, right? Now, I, I think Jude is one of these books that we tend to kind of overlook, right? It's, it's short. It's one chapter. It's barely a page long. And we tend to kind of just overlook it because it's not really written by Paul, right? We spend most of our time looking at what Paul has said and what he writes in the New Testament. We kind of overlook a book like Jude, but I, I think this is a, a, an amazing book when you start actually starting to work through it. If, if you know Paul, right, he, his letters are very focused, right? He has a point, and he is going to build his letter towards that point. It, it's like an essay, right? If you remember writing essays, you had to have a thesis, and then you had to prove it. That's what Paul is doing. Jude is a lot different, Actually, he's writing something far more like a work of literature. He, he's using all of these different allusions to a whole bunch of different things. He's mixing it into his book, and he's using some very interesting sort of literary devices all throughout. For, for instance, if I actually look at that first paragraph we read, 17 to, to 23, did you notice in there there was three sets of three? 
He had three different points, and each of them had three points around it. In fact, that's on purpose. He does that all throughout the book. If you, if you go back and read this chapter, you're going to see it. He has groups of three all over the place. He's writing it on purpose. And so what I'd like us to do this morning is to, is to actually look at those groups, look at those little triads that he has for us, and, and ask, well, what is he telling us here to do uh, in the church and then finally, I want to end with that benediction, because that, that final line there, the final couple of verses, are some of the most beautiful in Scripture, so we'll, we'll work our way there. But let's just dive in. Look at verse 17 with me. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people devoid of the spirit. All right, there's his first little group of three. He says, first of all, I want you to watch out for the scoffers. All right, this is what I'm calling you to do. Beware of them that they are actually in the church and you need to be careful about them. Right, these are people who mock the Christian faith, who laugh at what God has said. And so, Jude here gives us one thing they do, but then three descriptions of them. Do you notice that? Right? These are the ones that they cause divisions. Right? He puts that in there, and then he has three little descriptors of what, or of what they look like. But notice here, these aren't scoffers outside the church. All right, we spent the last couple of months talking about doubt and, and looking at all of these, these people outside, atheists and whatever, and, and their critiques of Christianity. Jude here is actually warning about the scoffers in the church. He's saying they are the ones who actually cause divisions. They're the ones who actually hurt the church far more than anyone outside. It's the people who, who say with a bit of a coy smile, well, you don't really believe that, do you? Come on. Jesus walked on the water. Come on, you've never heard of a sandbar before? Right? These guys just didn't understand what they were doing. You can't actually believe the Bible. It's written by a bunch of guys. They didn't know what they were doing. Right? It's, it's the ones who, who mock from the inside actually end up causing far more damage than anyone outside could. And, and Jude tells us a little bit about these people. He describes them. First of all, he says they are led by their ungodly passions. Right? Other uh, verses will say just simply sinful passions. They're not actually seeking the good of anyone else. They're seeking their own good. They're seeking to enrich themselves, to build themselves up, to make themselves look important. Jude says they are worldly. That is focused on the here and now. What can I get? If I cause problems in the church, you know what? Sometimes that actually means more money for me. I get more respect. I get more you know, power, influence, whatever it might be. I can gain that here and now. Jude says they are devoid of the spirit. See, it's amazing how often you can look really spiritual while tearing people down. See, Jude is pointing out exactly what they really are. They're not actually Christians. They're, they're not actually, they don't have the spirit. In fact, this is what Peter warned the church about. Second Peter chapter 3. He says, knowing this, first of all, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
They look at what the Bible says and says, well, where's your proof? Everything, everything is just the natural world. That's all there is, and it would be foolish to believe anything else. See, Peter also points one other thing out about these scoffers. That they're going to deny, whether by their words or by their actions, that Jesus really is going to come back. That, that actually God will hold them to account. Here's what I find so interesting, though. Do you notice Jude doesn't tell the church to do anything here? You notice that? He doesn't say, hey, you know what? excommunicate them, right? Get them out of the church or, or, or argue with them, prove them wrong, show them why all the things that they're saying aren't true, right? Rebuke them with the truth, right? All of that has scriptural basis that we can find, but yet Jude doesn't do any of that. And I think there's a reason why. Well, I think there's actually a couple reasons, but I think first of all, it's because he is reminding us God is the one who will judge, See, we're jumping into the end of this book, but Jude has actually been talking about this all the way through. If you look back just a few verses to verse 14, he says, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds. God is actually going to be the one who is to judge. And so Jude is really only painting this picture He's painting a picture of not only who they are, but, but what their end is going to be. And so the implicit command there is, watch out. Don't follow after them. Do not follow their example. Don't get sucked in with these scoffers and mockers because we know what the end is going to look like. Right? It's a little bit like picking up a pack of cigarettes. Right? If you ever go and, and grab a pack of cigarettes, you're going to know right on the, on the front there's a big picture is really ugly of this like diseased, cancerous lung or, or someone's mouth who's had cancer and, and it's gotten all kinds of problems going on with it or, or whatever else, right? The picture there is a warning. If you continue, if you keep on using this, this is what's going to happen. You know, in, in many ways, that's exactly what Jude is doing. All he's having to do is paint this picture and say, this is what will happen. This is what this really looks like. Watch out. And so the church is meant to understand, actually, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to engage with that. I want to stay as far away as possible. Watch out for the scoffers. But the question is then, okay, if that's, that's clearly the, the negative example, what, what are we supposed to do? What, what is the flip side? And so Jude gives us another three, another little triad. Look back at verse 20 with me. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. See, once again, Jude has for us one command, and he gives you three ways in which it's to be done, right? The command is to keep yourself in the love of God. That's the, that's the imperative that he gives. And then he tells you how, why, how, or not why, how, by building yourself up in the faith, by praying in the Holy Spirit, by waiting for the mercy of Jesus. One command worked out in three different ways. And so what should the church be doing? I'm going to say the answer is keep yourselves and others. We'll get to the and others in just a minute. 
But let's just look at this. What, what exactly is he saying? He's saying keep yourself in the love of God. Well, what he's doing there is he's taking what Jesus himself said. John 15, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, Jesus here is giving the exact same command. Abide, remain, continue with my love, in my love. And he's calling his disciples to do exactly that. I'm going to say, just off the top, this means we actually have to take an effort. We might actually have to work on our faith. We might actually have to do something. Now, depending on, on your background, that might be either something you've heard way too little about or way too much about. Right? You might come from, from a, a background that says all you need to do is, is say, I believe in Jesus, tick the little box on the card, hand it in, and you're done. That's all you ever have to do. You're a Christian. You're saved. Don't ever worry about it again. You tick that box, great, you're done. On the other hand, maybe you grew up and all you heard was, you have to do this, 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 and if you don't, you're done. Right? The truth is that there's an element of truth in both of those things. In fact, actually what the gospel tells us is that Jesus has done it all. Right? We were sinners. We didn't deserve anything but God's wrath. But Jesus stepped in our place. He died for our sins so that anyone who believes in him, just believes, will be saved. See, that's what the message of the gospel is. It is we are saved by our faith. But the Bible says, so now live in it. Walk in it. Obey what God calls you to do. Right? There is an active part for us as well. We don't work to be saved. We work because we are saved. Right? If, I, if I can give kind of a, a little illustration. Imagine you are Wayne Gretzky's child. Right? Your last name is Gretzky. All right? And you show up to hockey tryouts. And you get there and you're like, all right, here's my name. The coach looks at it and says, really? Really? Yep. Okay, you're on the team. Right? Immediately, you're on the team, doesn't even matter, right? You got on on someone else's merit. You now have two options, right? You could either say, wow, I don't even have to try. I'm not going to show up to practice. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not even going to really try during the games because my spot is secure. Guess what's going to happen? Yeah, you're going to get kicked off that team real quick. However, you could also say, well, instead, wow, I, I got on even though I didn't do anything. I'm going to try as hard as I possibly can so that my dad's name doesn't get dragged through the mud. See, that's exactly what the Christian life looks like. We are saved not because of anything we are, have done, not because of our merit, but because of someone else's merit. We are saved. So now on the team... We say, I want to do everything I can so I could honor my heavenly Father. See, that's what Jude is calling the church to do. Keep yourselves in the love of God doesn't mean you have to make or earn your way to salvation. It's because Jesus has saved you, so now live in that. And he gives us here three ways that we are to do that. 
First thing he says, building yourself up in your most holy faith. Right? Build yourself up in the faith. I, th- I think Paul here helps us understand what, uh, what Jude is talking about. Colossians chapter 2. He writes, Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, what Paul is saying here and what I think Jude is getting at is that we are to actually work on our faith, seek to understand it, actually grow in our understanding of what God has done, be able to explain the the gospel to other people, to actually pick up our Bibles and, and read and say, how has God been working? What has God been doing? Right? Build yourself up in your faith means actually understand the word of God, be established and rooted in it. Right? Do you know what's in your Bible? Can you explain the storyline of this entire book? Actually, starting next week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little mini-series, and we're going to go Genesis to Revelation in three sermons. All right? It's going to be quite the story. But that's what we're going to do, because actually there is one story here told in 66 different books. God has been doing something. Do do you understand what God did with with Israel? Do you know the prophets? Can you tell me where Obadiah is found or what it's about? It's a minor prophet in the Old Testament, all right? (laughs) Get get to know your Bible. Be rooted in what we actually believe. It's hard to say, I'm going to keep myself in God's love if we can't understand what that even means, right? The second way Jude tells us is to be praying in the Holy Spirit. Now here he's not talking about like praying in tongues or anything like that. He's talking about praying in such a way that is dependent on the Holy Spirit for it. Right? We, we talk about knowing God as a relationship. Well, let me suggest that the most basic form of any relationship is listening to what they have to say and responding to it. That's exactly what Jude has just outlined. We listen to what God has to say to us in his word, and we respond to it in prayer. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We are to spend our days continually in prayer and then interrupted a couple times for work and family and everything else that goes on in our lives. It's meant to be this underlying uh, conversation between us and God. I think oftentimes we look at our days and we think, well, okay, I'm going to work today and we've got this thing after work and I'll, I'll slot in a couple little spots of prayer Actually, Paul is saying, flip that around entirely. We spend all day continually in prayer with God, and we get interrupted a few times for things like work. Right? To use a very 21st century illustration, it's like having the Messenger app open all day. We're expecting to hear from God, and we are expecting to respond right away. It's that idea that there is open communication between us and God all the time. So we are to be building ourselves in the faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Finally, he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I think we can sort of summarize this and say, keep your focus on what's coming up. 
Keep your focus on on the mercy that is still yet to come. There is going to be more mercy for those who are in Jesus Christ. There, There is, when we come to that day, when we stand before God, we will have a mercy from him that leads us to eternal life. See, that is where our focus is to be kept. And Jude says, wait for it. I think we are so bad at waiting, aren't we? We are so bad at at trying to wait for anything. And, And I'm going to suggest that so often it's impatience that leads to sin. It's our own impatience that leads us to speak a little bit too quickly to our coworkers or our spouse. It's impatience that says, I don't want to wait for God's timing. I'm just going to do it on my own. It's amazing how often our own sinful nature comes out just through impatience. So wait for the mercy of God that is coming up. Fix your eyes on that day. In fact, if you notice, this is really the opposite of what he's just said about the scoffers. The scoffers are those who follow their ungodly passions. You be built up in your faith. Root yourself in the word of God. Instead of being devoid of the spirit, be praying in the Holy Spirit. Instead of focusing on the here and now, be focused on what is coming up ahead. Church, keep ourselves in the love of God. Diving into the word, praying continually, waiting for eternal life. You know, in many ways, this isn't rocket science. It's probably not the first time you've heard this. What should you do as a Christian? Read your Bible, pray every day. (laughs) That's hardly new, but it shouldn't be, should it? It's the most basic thing that we're called to do, just continue on in it. But I said that the call to the church is to keep ourselves and others. See, it's not just about ourselves at the end of the day. In fact, we are looking to be serving others with the very same grace we have received. Look back at verse 22. He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. See, Jude's point here is pretty simple. Just as you received mercy... So now show it to others. Now extend that same mercy to others around you. But I I love what Jude does here because he seems to understand that you have to approach it differently with different people. Have you ever found that? It's not like evangelism or sharing your faith is kind of this one-size-fits-all kind of thing. It's not like, well, I have this tract and I can give it to every single person and it's always going to be the exact same thing. No, it's not. And Jude seems to understand that there's going to be a nuance in how we share the gospel. So verse 22, he says, have mercy on those who doubt. Now again, I don't think he's talking about the scoffer here. I think he's talking about those who are genuinely wrestling with different things, who have these big questions that we've just talked about for two months. And he's saying what you are called to do here, have mercy on them. See, I think the worst reaction for anyone here would be to say, wow, I've learned all this. I don't have time to deal with anyone who hasn't figured it out, right? Come on, just just buck up and and get it together and figure it out. Actually, Jude's saying the exact opposite should be the case. 
We should recognize when people are struggling and, and wrestling with these different things. What we are called to do is show mercy because we also had to wrestle through them. We also needed God's grace and his mercy towards us. So show it now to those who are struggling. Verse 23, he says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. See, again, I think Jude here is talking about a slightly different situation. I think oftentimes when we think about sharing our faith or, or, or telling about what Jesus has done, we too often have it framed in this context of, of, of proving the other person wrong, right? Showing them why, why their view doesn't really work and, and here's why it's so illogical to believe what you believe and here, ha, I beat you. That's not how Jude has it at all. In fact, Jude uses a very different understanding. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Like, like seeing someone trip over a campfire and grabbing their collar and pulling them back. It's being aware of the spiritual danger that does exist. In fact, that there is a judgment. In fact, what Jesus himself will call hell. I know we don't like talking about this kind of thing as, as Christians, but in fact, Jesus talked about it a lot. Matthew chapter 5, he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. See, Jesus talked about the fact that there is going to be a judgment on our actions. And in fact, he talked about hell so much because he didn't want people to go there. I, truth is, I'll be honest, this topic always makes me uncomfortable. It should make us uncomfortable. It should make us distressed by the reality of what Jesus is talking about. There are those who have no idea of the danger that lies ahead. What we are called to do as the church, save them, warn them about what is coming up. It's not about convincing or, or you know, arguing someone to show that their position is wrong. That's not the goal. The goal is to be able to save people as we ourselves have been saved. We didn't earn it, so go out and share what everyone can have. Finally, Jude writes, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Again, I think Jude has in mind a slightly different situation. I think he has in mind the person who has probably lost their way, who has stopped uh, caring about their sin, who stopped hating their sin. The Christian, even, who has stopped trying to fight and are actually pretty comfortable with what's going on nowadays. Jesus, again, says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. 
It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See, Jesus warns sternly about the consequences of our sin. And I think sometimes we fall into the habit of kind of laughing at our sin, right? It becomes almost those things we tell at the dinner table, the little anecdote of like, oh yeah, you know, I shouldn't have really said that. Man, I got so drunk that one time. (laughs) Actually, no, that's not how the Bible views that. Bible views it as something that's serious, that actually has eternal consequences. And so what we are called to do, church, save others, have mercy on them, and hating even the things that get touched by sin. Show a mercy with the fear of God in it. Not a mercy that says, yeah, well, it doesn't really matter what you do. Yeah, it's all okay. God will just forgive you. Actually, it's a big deal. Keep yourselves and others in the love of God because Jesus tells us there's an alternative. Tell. I think sometimes we've stopped trembling at that. We stopped sharing our faith because we don't really believe anything's on the line. We stopped fighting our sin because we don't think it's a big deal. Hear the warning of Jude. Keep yourselves and others in the love of God. But now let me say, having heard that warning, that's not where the letter ends. In fact, there is far more. The letter doesn't end with trembling. It ends in confidence in God. Look at verse 24 and 25 again. It says, now to him who is able to keep you, from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. See, the end of the letter isn't a warning. It's not another rule to follow. It's not another command. It's not something else. The letter ends in confidence in what God can do. The letter ends in confidence that God is able to save to the uttermost. See, Jude says, God is the one who is able to keep you. Do you notice that? It comes right after what Jude has just said. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Now to the one who is able to keep you. God is the one that we can actually put our confidence in. It's not about how much we can do. It's not about if we can hold on to the end, if we can do all the right things. It's about what God is able to do in us. He is able to keep us till the end. And that is such good news. Because his power to do that is so much greater than our power to do that. We are so prone to wander. I am sure that whoever's reading this the first time was saying to themselves, my goodness, I can't do this. And Jude ends in this way to say, don't worry, God is able to do it. In fact, it's the exact same way the book began. You can look back to verse 1. He writes, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Everything that follows in between is meant to be sandwiched between those two promises. God is the one who keeps us. 
Listen to Paul in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, that's exactly what Jude is getting at. It's not as if, you know, God is going to begin something in our life and say, well, I hope you figure it out as you go. No, God is the one who's going to be keeping us as we go. As we pursue on in this Christian life, it is his power that holds us. And I love the way that Jude ends. He says he is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless. That on that final day, God will not present us and say, well, he did pretty good. No, blameless. Without any error, not on our merit, but because of what Jesus has done, we are presented blameless. And not just kind of squeaking by as if everyone says, oh, okay, all right, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll let him in. No, 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 with great joy. There is going to be resounding praise at that final day for what God has done in the lives of his people. God will be glorified. And that's where Jude leaves us, that to God be the glory. Romans puts it this way, I am, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we actually can have confidence in our faith. We actually can hold this trustworthy. We can actually hold this with courage. Courage enough to even go out and share what has happened to us. Why? And it's not from us. It's not because we've done enough, not because we have accomplished enough or, or built ourselves up enough. We can do that because of what God has done, because God has saved us, because he is going to keep us, because he is going to present us blameless in that day. So, brothers and sisters, let us glorify God. Let us give him all the praise, all the honor, all the majesty, because he has dominion and authority over all. See, that's where our confidence lies. It doesn't lie in us. Our confidence lies in God Almighty, because he is able to save. We get to work for his glory. So let us walk forward with confidence. Let us leave doubt behind, because our God is on the throne before all time, now and forever. Let us work hard, keep ourselves in his love, knowing it is he that works in us. Let us know the word, pray faithfully, wait patiently. Let us have mercy on those around us, placing our trust in the one who called us, who will keep us, who will present us before the Father on that final day, blameless with great joy. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. Lord, not only have you sent Jesus to this earth, that, that we might know you, that we might actually have our sins forgiven, 
Lord, we couldn't do it on our own. We were not able to do enough, but Jesus has done it all. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the mercy and the love and the grace that you have poured out onto us. Lord, I I pray, would we set our confidence in you, pushing forward to, to know you more, Father, that we might share the good things of what you have done. Father, let us actually care about those around us. That we would not be callous or or cold, but with hearts warmed to sharing the good news of what you have done. Lord, I pray, give us boldness, courage, and confidence in you to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ to all around us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.